Everybody, welcome back to where are we? Exploring the Lord of the Rings. That's where we are. Session number 253. Uh, as we are still shivering in the snow. Um, and I have to say, I, I felt particularly guilty leaving Frodo and the rest of the company of the ring shivering in the snow on the verge of hypothermia uh, while I was enjoying a nice summer week of uh summer conditions down in brisbane australia uh recently um but um anyway yeah so um i'm uh glad to be back and and uh, uh moving forward again with everybody so uh a couple announcements tonight a couple things that are either happening right now or coming up very very soon indeed number one we are starting, oh, hang on, this is not going to show up because it's green. <laughs> so I'm holding up my green book, and it's and you're seeing the logo through it. Anyway, War of the Jewels, which has an unfortunately green cover. <laughs> kind of holding it off to the side. War of the Jewels, there it is. Um, While well, you're starting the Mythgard Academy session on the War of the Jewels, so I'm going to be working, I'm going to be teaching my way uh, through volume 11 of the history of Middle-earth called the War of the Jewels starting tomorrow night. So this is going to be on Wednesday nights, Mythgard Academy uh, uh, discussions. And uh, we're going to be talking about the War of the Jewels tomorrow night. We're going to focus on... Um, we're going to start the Grey Annals, but I don't have aspirations to get very deep into the Grey Annals. I actually want to talk about the forward uh, and his introduction to the Grey Annals. That is, we're going to... Most of our discussion tomorrow is going to be kind of orienting ourselves to where in the history of Tolkien's working on the Silmarillion and working to get the Silmarillion published he is. Because, of course, The War of the Jewels is essentially the sequel to Morgoth's Ring. Morgoth's Ring and The War of the Jewels combined make up um, Christopher Tolkien's putting together almost everything that Tolkien did to revise the Silmarillion after writing The War of the Rings. So he finishes writing The War of the Rings and he goes through a couple different waves of going back to develop the Silmarillion material. It's actually one of the things we're going to be studying tomorrow when I say two different waves. Like how exactly, you know, we're going to, so we're, we're, we're going to be looking at a bit of um, uh, what Christopher tells us about and what conclusions we can come to based on what we've seen already and other things that we've studied together um, about those uh, understanding those two different waves understanding uh tolkien's kind of the trajectory of tolkien's literary career and his relationship with the silmarillion after he'd finished the lord of the rings so um that's gonna be great fun so i hope that you can join me for that um you can join me on all of the the my our usual channels if you're uh watching the broadcast uh or the recording of this you'll be able to get the broadcast and or the recording um of the uh war of the jewels class the one thing i will say though if you are getting this on a podcast feed there's a different podcast feed uh search for the podcast feed for the Mythgard academy uh and that it has its own podcast feed that in exploring the lord of the rings each have their own separate feeds so anyway, 
that is what we are doing next, and I am really exciting. So how far do we you need to read for tomorrow? Not far. Not far. If you read the first like five pages of the grain, read the forward, Christopher Tolkien's forward, and then read up through like, I don't know, maybe the first uh, five pages of the gray annals. I say, we're, we're, we're not going to get very far um, into the gray annals, but, um, but that's what we're going to, that, that, that's what we're going to set up for. No, 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 not one slide's worth. Cause of course the, one of the main, and I have to brace you for this, right? You have to be, if you're going to join me for my discussion of the war of the jewels, you have to be prepared for the breakneck speed. First of all, we are going to cover, um, well, ones of slides, <laughs> like we're going to cover, um, we'll probably average, somewhere between yeah, seven to 10 slides per night. So like, that's one thing to kind of get yourself oriented to. That's how we roll uh, in Mythgard Academy. And sometimes we cover up to, we cover tens of pages uh, worth of reading. Um, so um, yeah, it's really, it's designed to be a chapter by chapter discussion, not to say that we do single chapters in single days, um, some faster and some slower. It depends on how much there is to talk about. Um, you know, I, uh, I mean to talk my way through it and kind of highlight what seemed to me really interesting and important, uh, features as we go through. Um, but it's certainly not, I certainly do not have the commitment to go through and talk through every paragraph in the sentence. There'll be much more skipping. That's the other thing to, uh, uh, to kind of brace yourself for there. Um, but anyhow, that's so. Th that's what we're going to be starting tomorrow night, same time. Um, we start about 10 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday nights, and we'll be doing that now uh, for I don't know exactly how long it'll take to do this. Probably six to nine months, something like that, um, uh, to, to work our way through the War of the Jewels. There's uh, there's a lot here. There's a lot of substance uh, in the War of the Jewels, and then. Uh, then we will be 11 twelfths of the way through the history of Middle-earth um, as we've been working through it over the last nine years or so, something like that. Um, so that is one announcement to make sure that you guys know that we are starting the discussion of the War of the Jewels, which is going to be great, great fun. The second thing uh, for you to know is that this very month as is, in fact, next week, yes, next week, um, is an exciting week uh, uh, for me in the history of my new book. My new book, of course, is Exploring the Lord of the Rings, Volume 1. Um, and uh, just to, like a little brief recap of that and what that is all about, I am taking all the observations that we've been making together, and I'm basically, what I'm doing in my book is bringing those things together. What we don't have time to do in class, right? It synthesize. We make a lot of observations. We, you know, we're looking through the whole text sentence by sentence and paragraph by paragraph, but we don't have time to go back and synthesize. That's what I'm doing in my book. So um, my book is going to proceed as um, a, I'm going to, I'm going to be writing several chapters per chapter. I originally set out to write one chapter per chapter of the first, you know, the, the book one. So that's just up through the flight to the fort. Um, but there was there was too much, even for the kind of um, synthesis that I'm doing in the book. There's there's too much to cover. So I'm going to end up doing uh, I'm going to end up doing uh, about probably about three so far, uh, three chapters per. Um, I have three chapters that I actually wrote on the prologue, the you know concerning hobbits and 
uh, Pipeweed and and notes on Shire Records and the summary of The Hobbit and all that stuff. So I got three chapters on that, and then I have three chapters on Chapter One, The Long Expected Party. So I think it's going to be I think it's going to be probably three, maybe sometimes two. Uh, well, let's say two to four chapters per uh, per chapter of the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, so that's what I'm doing. Um, I am very excited about this. It's going to take me a while to write this because I I'm doing a lot of other things also. Uh, so I'm adding writing a book on top of all the other things that I'm doing. Um, but here's how this is going to work. You don't have to. So it's probably going to take me from now. Probably going to take me a couple of years to finish this book. But you don't have to wait for me to finish this book because um, I'm publishing it through the Signum University Press. So this is how it's going to work. We're going to, uh, through the Signum University Press, the Signum, Univers the Signum University Press has this really cool thing where we release works serially as they are being produced so that uh, readers can be involved in that process um, and so that authors can uh, like have people like, buying the books as they are writing them. It's it's a pretty cool deal for everybody, actually. So what you can do, the first chapter is going to drop next week. Next, um, well, the 15th. Which day is the 15th? Thursday? Wednesday? What's today? The 7th. So that makes it Wednesday of next week. Next Wednesday, um, we're going to... Um, uh, we're going to do that. So it's sort of like Dickens, Nancy, but it's not exactly like Dickens. Um... It's a little bit like Dickens. Um, yeah, there's a lot of differences in 19th century serials and now. But um, let me show you. Let me show you how to get there. Um, because subscribing to the book uh, that is getting the monthly drops. So I'm going to be dropping an installment to the book every month from now until it's done, basically. Um, so here's there are a couple different ways you can do this. One. You can go to the Signum University Press website. So go to press.signumuniversity.org, which is this. And then you can look around. You can click on authors, for instance. And you can look at one of our awesome authors. So much cool stuff coming out. Jeff LaSala is doing his Silmarillion Primer. He's, pu he's publishing a book version of the Silmarillion Primer, um, which is, uh, which is gonna, that's also going to be starting serial release soon. Uh, Dr. Verlin Flieger, one of the greatest Tolkien scholars of all time. Um, she's publishing a book with us, a, a book of uh, 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 fiction and poetry, actually, with us. It's really cool. Um, and uh, Dr. Michael Drought, who is again just another shining luminary of the uh, of the Tolkien scholarly world, and the um, uh, the Old English scholarly world, is publishing two books with us actually. And one is exploring Beowulf, where he is going to be doing weekly uh, uh, weekly install. Well. Uh, it's not going to be released week. I think it'd be released monthly. But anyway, he's going to be doing installments, going through Beowulf line by line, and basically this is like uh, Doctor Drought sharing like everything he's learned and everything he's discovered, um, everything he knows about Beowulf line by line, all the way down through. So cool. Um, anyway, lots of really, um, uh, lots of really neat stuff. Uh, uh, going on uh, new uh, books of uh, fiction and poetry and scholarship. Really cool stuff. Anyway, so you go through here and you click on me and here's my book. Okay, so here's my book and you can, um, you can click through to purchase it here or here's the other thing you can do. You can go to Blackberry 
BlackBerry is, of course, many of you will be familiar with BlackBerry from, so it's blackberry.signumuniversity.org. Um, and lots of things are going through BlackBerry. This is our new, uh, our new registration system here. Um, this, of course, is where our space program has been running. So you can get uh, your space stuff here. Events such as, for instance, MythMoot 10 registration, which is coming up this coming summer, or TextMoot, which is coming up in April. Um, so you can click right here to register for TextMoot or for MythMoot. Or you can go to the Signum University Press. So you click on Current Titles. Um, and here's my exploring the Lord of the Rings at the bottom of the list. And here is the page where you can subscribe. So it costs only two bucks a month to subscribe to the ebook version or two fifty a month to subscribe to the audiobook version. I'm going to be reading the, um, the audiobook. Um, it will eventually be released on audible. Sarah, I saw that, um, uh, that, that question, but, um, Anyway, so, um, yeah, it will be eventually. But for now, uh, again, you don't have to wait. So you can subscribe now, and you'll get those installments. We're going to be publishing those installments, audio and, uh, uh, you know, uh, type version uh, of that um, in... Uh, 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 on, like, every month, like, installments every month. So for 2 bucks a month or for two fifty a month, you can subscribe to the ebook or audio version of my book and you can read my book as I'm writing it, um, as it's coming out here. Um, I've been I'm really excited about my prologue chapters. I have to tell you, I was, and I know a lot of you have given me a hard time about the fact that A, we skipped the prologue at the beginning of Exploring the Lord of the Rings, and B, we whipped through chapter one really, really fast, right? So it's actually been really, really neat going back and thinking through and writing about the prologue and chapter one, which we sort of covered, but not entirely covered uh, in this, uh, in our Tuesday night discussions. Soon I'm going to catch up to the stuff that we actually have discussed, um, but um, uh, but I'm getting there. And of course, at the bottom here is my author circle. Um, a bunch of you have signed up for my author circle, which is fantastic. Um, the author circle is a, a $25 a month subscription. And the author circle is, you get the ebook and the audiobook um, sort of with that. It, it comes with it as part of it. Um, but the author circle are like the special, um, my special kind of uh, I like support group. I meet with them every month. Uh, we talk over that they are they've already seen the chapter that I'm dropping next week because um, I gave it to them for us to talk about and to get their feedback on. Um, I've had a lot of suggestions. In fact, I I was I was going to skip the prologue again. I totally was because I almost always skip the prologue. Like for me, when I'm reading the Lord of the Rings, I always start at the long expected party and then I come back and I read the prologue at the end, like with the appendices. Basically, is when I read the um, is when I read that. So. Um, anyway, I, um, uh, it was actually, so it was actually a suggestion, uh, from my author circle. They were like, you really should do a chapter on the prologue before you go too much further. And I was like, you know what? You're right. So, um, so it was their suggestion that I even went back and wrote. So now there's like three more chapters added to the book, <laughs> added to my book because of that, uh, suggestion from my author circle. Um, it has been a, a really, really cool thing. So the author circles are opportunities and you can, you can join my author circle. You can join the author circle of other folks, um, like Mike Drought and Jeff LaSala and others like Kay Ben Abraham and, uh, Serena Higgins. And you can kind of be a part of their process. You get, 
advanced release of drafts. You get to comment on those. You get to um, to have monthly discussions uh, with the author. It's just a wonderful way to support an author that like whose work you want to support. Um, you know, it's it's um, it's it's it works. It's it's like. You know, it's like a Patreon or Kickstarter kind of thing, except instead of investing in a project, you're just supporting the person and all of the projects that that person is doing. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, A.R. Wayne, I, I, I hear that. I think a lot of people are in that position. Um, you skip the prologue every time and you've never actually read it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, honestly, there have been too many times in my own readings that I haven't gotten back to it. Um, so I have never read it before, but, um, but this past time when I really sat down with it, I found a lot of things that I'd never really noticed or never really processed before. Um, anyway, I was having a great time with that. Um, oh, Dan, I'm excited about Kay's book too. Um, I, this is like the second edition of Kay's book, um, which I loved the first version, like the first draft of, and I am so looking forward to it. I've been hearing just wonderful things about it. Um, but um, anyhow, so uh, these are the options. So if you would like to, to join me on this journey, uh, again, you could, if you would like to, you can wait, you can pre-order the whole book or you can, um, you know, pre-ordering the whole book is only like 20 bucks um, or you can wait and buy it when it comes out totally fine if you want to do that um but as i say it's going to be a couple of years uh before that's finished or you can come along on this journey with me um either by joining my author circle or by uh subscribing to the ebook or audiobook so um if you have any uh uh sort of questions fine i think the links we're getting uh uh put there into the uh the chat there so folks could find it um but um Anyway, that is uh, that is one of the things that I've been working on a lot. I've been really enjoying. I mean, it's it's fun to be writing again. I haven't, um, you know, I've been doing a lot of teaching, of course. I've been doing my weekly broadcasts, and and that's it's always awesome. I've I you know I've, I've no plan to slow that down, but um, uh, writing is just different you know uh being able to write a book is a uh is it's a it's, it's a really fun opportunity it's something i've been it's been too long it's been like 10 years um goodness now this is the 11th year since the book came out so it's been uh been more like 12 years since i last wrote um uh really seriously uh like for my hobbit book um so i've been very much um very much enjoying that. Um, and yes, Josh, the flights to and from the future were exactly as productive as planned. In fact, this chapter that's dropping next week, I wrote on the plane. Uh, uh, I, I wrote over the Pacific um, because again, I'd, I'd already written, I've already written a bunch of the chapter one. So the long expected party stuff. So it was, I was going back sort of at the last minute and being like, okay, I want to add the prologue. So I actually came home with a couple chapters um, and another one all planned out and everything. So anyway, that's, uh, it, yes, it was awesome. It was awesome. I think I was the only one as we were landing in Sydney. I think I was the only one who was wishing the plane, the flight longer. <laughs> I was like, can we circle the block a few more times? This is, I don't want it to end. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway. So, um, uh, that is what is going on. So I just wanted to share that. I know a bunch of you were interested in the the prospect of my writing this book. Um, and I just wanted to let you know that it's happening. Like the, 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 the you know, the making of it public is going to be beginning. 
um, next week. Uh, so if you want to uh, start reading from the first chapter, uh, you are welcome to do that and to join with us um, uh, to join with us uh, anytime uh, next week and you can and you can get it. So. All right. So those are the announcements today. Let's get back into the text now. Um, OK. Remember that we peeked ahead to this slide last time. Gandalf was just passing around the Miravor, um, as it looked like the hobbits were about to freeze to death. As soon as Frodo had swallowed a little of the warm and fragrant liquor, he felt a new strength of heart, and the heavy drowsiness left his limbs. The others also revived and found fresh hope and vigor. But the snow did not relent. It whirled about them thicker than ever, and the wind blew louder. "'What do you say to fire?' asked Boromir suddenly. The choice seems near now between fire and death, Gandalf. Doubtless we shall be hidden from all unfriendly eyes when the snow has covered us, but that will not help us. You may make a fire if you can, answered Gandalf. If there are any watchers that can endure this storm, then they can see us, fire or no. Man, okay, so not only... Um, uh, not only does this... Um, not only does Boromir, like, speak sense when he does speak again, notice the suddenness of his speaking. This is the thing that really struck me most here. Boromir has been really, really patient. Really patient. We've seen him a few times, right? Starting at the bottom of the hill when he, when he urged them to bring firewood up with them, right? Um... And there have been, and to the previous slide, right, where he's like, this will be the death of the halflings, Gandalf. Like, it, Boromir wants to do, he's a man of action. He wants to do something. Um, and he is being quietly critical um, of the leaders of this expedition. Um, and I think it's pretty clear that Boromir uh, would have brooked none of this nonsense, right? Um, what do you say to fire? Asked Boromir suddenly. And it absolutely, um, it absolutely has the sense, the, the feeling, Dr. Benway, that he's been biting his tongue for quite some time and finally lets it out. Um, and I agree to Juice Man. It's such a gentle way to ask. What do you say to fire? Right? I mean, he could easily by this time say, are you people trying to kill us? What is wrong with you? <laughs> like, like, surely we should be lighting a fire now, right? Um, but he seems to have been letting, like Gandalf said he was going to do something, right? And so he passes around the booze, <laughs> right? He passes around the mirror board. Now, I don't want to slight it. It's a big deal, right? Um, notice that it, the effect that it, well, we'll come back to that. We're already on to Boromir now. It does have an effect, right? And Boromir was like, okay, yes, um, okay, the beverage, the beverage was good, um, the beverage was good, but um, maybe, uh, maybe further action. I, I was kind of, it's almost like he left it out there, like, okay, we have firewood, everyone's freezing to death, snow covering the hobbits, yep, hypothermia setting in, firewood sitting right over there. Okay, leaders of the expedition, it's fine. It's fine. I can wait. I can wait. Snow's only up to you know mid thigh by now. I'm. I. I it's okay. It's okay. Um, and then finally, he's like, 
Um, what do you say to fire? Hey, I have an idea. What if we light a fire right now to keep us all warm and, I don't know, alive, right? Um, uh, the choice seems near now between fire and death, Gandalf. So he's quoting Gandalf's line back to him. And I think he's doing that. Even that, I think, is very tactful, right? Like, I acknowledge, oh, wise leader of this company, that um, we should not light a fire, you said, unless it was a choice between fire and death. Well, by my calculation, it's kind of looking like that's pretty much where we are right now. The choice seems near now between fire and death, Gandalf. I think we've met your specifications, even though, you know, whatever. I wouldn't have done it this way. Um, and then, then the last line, right? Doubtless we shall be hidden from all unfriendly eyes when the snow has covered us, but that will not help us. Taking this secrecy thing just a step too far, aren't we? Now, I think it's important to back up and notice Boromir doesn't entirely know what he's talking about, right? I, I think it's pretty clear that Boromir doesn't really understand what's at stake. Um, from literally the first step, just before the first step, when he blows his horn, right? Um, he's shown that he's not really on board with the whole secrecy thing, right? I mean, you know, he acknowledges the secrecy thing. All the wise people say, oh, secrecy, most important thing. Um, and he accedes to that to some extent. Though we may hereafter walk in the shadows, he says, remember. He will not set forth as a thief in the night. Um, he's always... He's never totally agreed with it, which leads me to believe he doesn't really get it, right? He doesn't really understand, which is interesting, because on the one hand, um, uh, on the one hand, he is, he is the one who knows at least as well as anybody. I mean, he's from Gondor. He's grown up, you know, looking over at Mount Doom. It's not like he underestimates the power of Sauron. Remember, he was the one who was saying, you think Sauron is the one actually, you know, bringing s snow down on us before? And it was Gimli who was speaking, I think, skeptically, right, about that. Um, I don't think he underestimates the power of Sauron. I don't think that that's his problem, exactly. I think the problem is he doesn't really believe in their mission and the secrecy of their mission. Um, that being secret is what they should do. Remember what he came for. He came to the North to find something that could be brought back to help save Minas Tirith, right? He, his goal, his plan, his hope was to return with something that could help them in the war. Um, seek for the sword that was broken, he was told, right? And so, and he's bringing the sword that was broken and the dude attached to it. 
So that's good. And he's, you know, Aragorn's going to come back to Minas Tirith with him and everything. And that's fine. But I think it's pretty clear that Boromir would rather be uh, still be blowing horns here. Um, I do think, uh, Dr. Benway, that he still thinks they should use the ring. I don't think he's ever stopped thinking that. Um, yeah, Jackie, he's ready to charge. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so Bjorning, is the takeaway here that Boromir just doesn't understand the secrecy bit of the quest? Um, yes. I think he is not on board with the secrecy part of the quest. Exactly. First of all, it's not his idiom, secrecy, right? He's a, he's a general. He's a commander. He wants to blow the horn in charge. Um, and what's more, I agree, Emma Thorne, finding the long-lost king is a good find. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Agreed. And how is that king to be deployed? In secrecy? No. Right? I mean, that would not be part of the plan. Um, I wonder... I wonder, Boromir has sort of signed on here to this company, kind of, right? Remember, Aragorn was like, Boromir and I, you know, our road will lie with yours for, you know, a long time because we're going to Minas They're going to Minas Tirith, right? They're with the company on the way, right? They didn't swear any oaths. They didn't, he's not part of the quest, right? Boromir... Boromir is a minority, part of the minority report from the Council of Elrond, clearly. I think that he still thinks that they should be using the ring. I don't think that he's changed his mind. I don't see any reason to believe. Yeah, I think that's true. I don't see any reason to believe that Boromir has changed his mind about that. I can't think of one piece of evidence that suggests that Boromir has truly accepted. Like, he's conceded. He's acknowledged the will of the council. He's not arguing. Look how polite he's been. Look how good he's been at keeping himself on the shelf. Right? Just sitting back, biting his tongue, letting the leaders do their thing, whether it's Elrond doing his thing, setting out you know, getting the company ready to, to depart Elrond, or whether it's Aragorn and, and Gandalf doing their thing here. He has been so good about letting them do their thing and letting them move forward. But I don't think that that, is, that in itself is any evidence that he agrees with them, that he has actually been convinced that they should not use... Um, the ring against them. And I think, um, I think that, um, what he's eventually going to say to Frodo, I see no reason to believe it's not been going through his head since the council of Elrond. Namely that, you know, these elves and half elves and wizards, they might come to grief perhaps if they use the ring, they all say so. Right. And he's not calling them liars. He's not, he believes them. 
right? He is t- taking them at their word. He doesn't think that they're trying to deceive anybody. When they, when Elrond says he could not possibly use the ring, he wouldn't trust himself, okay. When Gandalf says that same thing, fine, right? Um, they say, so, okay, great. Um, but I don't think that that means that he's convinced that the brave men of Gondor couldn't use it. Um, yeah. Bjarnasoner, exactly. Um, right. Uh, it'd probably be fine for me, though. I think that that's a, a thought that has been continuously, has been growing um, in his uh, in his mind ever since the council. I, I see no reason to... Again, can you think of anything? Anything that Boromir has said at any point through and since the council that suggests he's actually been convinced that it is either A, like impossible or be disastrous to use the ring against Sauron. I can't think of any that really show that he has like actually absorbed and accepted that idea. Um, now, Bjorning, I'm not saying he's plotting anything about the ring here. What I'm saying is I don't think he's ever bought in to the secrecy thing. This is, I think, why he and Gandalf and Aragorn, this is why I think he does not understand um, the choices that Gandalf is making here. Um, he, does, he, doesn't, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. Gandalf, it, even the thing that he's quoting, right? Uh, we should not use the wood unless, you know, the choice comes, you know, unless it's a choice between fire and death. Why? Why? Seriously. What's the worst case scenario, Gandalf? They find out that we're here. In which case, like, if there are spies and they attack us, we kill them. If there are spies and they report back and Sauron comes after us, we put on the ring and use it against him. Oh, that's kind of what I want to do anyway. Right? So, um, I'm not going to, like, betray our company or anything. Like, I'm not going to tell the enemy that we're here. I'm not going to go out of my way. I'm being good. Have I blown my horn even once since we left Rivendell? No, I have not. Right? But, you know, should this whole secrecy thing that you guys think is so important, and which I think is not important, should the secrecy thing fail, and it might fail, is that a worst-case scenario? That is not a worst-case scenario. Right? Um, The worst-case scenario... The worst-case scenario is sending the ring into Mordor. That's got to be the worst-case scenario. Letting the enemy recover the ring. Not only... I mean, look, not using it? That's foolish. I mean, I came here... I was sent here by God, right? We were given a... I, you know, like, my brother and, and once I had this, like, Joan of Arc experience, right, where we had these visions and we were sent on this mission to prevent the doom of Gondor. And when we get here, what do we find? Holy cow. The enemy's ring, right? The ruling ring, the most powerful thing ever, right? Um, which grants, like, power over the enemy and victory in, victory in battle. So, like, okay. Like, you're, so if I had that ring, I'd be able to, like, quell the wills of, like, all of the servants of the enemy. Sounds handy. I could think of a time or two in my military history when I might have wanted something like that, right? Um, uh, 
anyway, I, I don't see any reason to think that Boromir isn't thinking this. The fact that he isn't acting on it, the fact that he isn't talking like this, and again, I'm not saying he's plotting against the ring right now. Boromir's good. Boromir's been, he's been, Boromir gets a gold star. He gets all the gold stars. Um, I don't think he's convinced, but he's not rebelled. He's not rebel. He's not decided to take things into his own hands. Okay, so Elrond and you know the council said that this should happen, but um, we're not in Rivendell anymore, so it's no longer Elrond's say. I'm taking the ring because, and I'm going to put it on, and I'm going to use it right now, and and we're going to. This is what's happening, people. Um, he, he's not doing that. He's not doing that. I think he is tempted to do that, but he's not doing that. Why? It wouldn't be the right thing to do. It wouldn't be the right thing to do. Um, nor is he even trying to take over the leadership of this company, though from his point of view, it has to be like a clown show at this point, right? I mean, I think that's been becoming clearer and clearer as they've been going up into the mountains. Um, and why is it, a, is it because Gandalf and Aragorn are actually bad leaders? No, again, I think this is where we can see it's not that Boromir is actually wiser than Gandalf and Aragorn. It's that I think he's operating under different premises. He doesn't really get the fact um, that secrecy really matters. Um, and yes, I agree. So I agree um, uh, Arnas saying secrecy could serve for now to bring the ring to Minas Tirith without arguments. Well, yeah, he's gonna. He's he's going along. It's not reached the crisis point yet. Right? Everything's like again. Boromir has every reason, both good and bad, to go along with things. Right? I don't want to make his gold star behavior too heroic. I, I think he deserves tons of credit for what he's been doing and the extent to which he's still been standing on his tongue. But um, but I don't think that. Um, I agree that both the good and the bad reasons are both on the side of not causing a fuss and going along with things right now because things are headed in the right direction, right? Um, right now, the ring is currently on its way to Minas Tirith. Okay, cool. It's on its way to Minas Tirith. So push will come to shove at some point later on. Um, and I don't know. I mean, is he planning to open up that discussion again? When is he planning on to open up that discussion? To what extent is he... Uh, how hard is he fighting against that? Um, I don't know. I think it's got to be pretty hard so far because he's not said anything that even seems to point in that direction. Um, but I do think that his the difference in vision between him and Gandalf and Aragorn that we're seeing in this trip up into the mountains does suggest we talked this through before when we were looking at Gandalf and Aragorn's discussion right and one of the things that we were suggesting was that actually being buried in the snow like freezing to death and dying and the ring being lost some random place in the mountains, not the worst case scenario. It's not the worst case scenario. 
I mean, it's not plan A either, but it's certainly not the worst case scenario. It is not something that will do anything to prevent because it would be better for them all to die and the ring to be lost. They'd be in a better situation then than if um, the enemy recovered the ring. Risking revealing the presence of the ring, the presence of the company to the enemy. Sauron finding out where the ring is is the worst case scenario. Especially now, in a sense. Especially now. Because if he finds out now, their hope to get even anywhere near Mordor drops to zero. Right? I mean, look, already, you know, walking into Mordor, not a picnic, right? I mean, that's certainly true. Um, it's well guarded, but their only hope of having any chance of getting the ring to Mount Doom um, is for Sauron not to suspect that you know, that that's what they're doing, that that's where the ring is going. So if Sauron finds out at this point, I mean, it's practically game over, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that's interesting, uh, Feanaro's Pizza. Boromir's attitude towards the secrecy probably has a lot to do with a lifetime so close to Mordor. He probably sees some of the benefits of secrecy, but to him, it probably seems futile. Sauron is going to find out sooner or later. Yes, I do suspect that Boromir has a more realistic idea, both of the power of Sauron and of the reality of Mordor, to think that... I mean, I wonder if this was also a place where he was being kind of polite at the council. Remember that um, uh, Aragorn uh, well, Boromir gets sort of quasi-rebuked at the council for being parochial, right? Boromir kind of, you know, like you, you, you don't really know anything outside of Gondor. Oh, you know about Gondor? You don't know what's going on? Outside, you've never been outside of Gondor. You know, you're you you don't really know what you're talking about when you're talking about the rest of the world, right? Um, I think that Boromir could very likely, when they're all talking about like, yeah, let's uh, let's send the ring to Mount Doom. I can imagine Boromir being like, okay, I might not know much about the rest of the world, but I know about that. And these people, I mean, the half elf dude claims to have been there before. Maybe it was different 3,000 years ago. I don't know, but uh, I gotta tell you, I've seen the place, and this is the dumbest plan I have ever heard of. Right. Um, that would be um, very natural. Uh, very natural uh, for him to be thinking that. Um, yeah, I mean, Kovia, of course. I mean, I've been dancing around the one does not simply walk into Mordor line from the films. Um, I thought that that line in the film, even before it became one of the most pervasive memes of all time, um, was um, very skillfully. It was it was perfectly logical to give a line like that to Boromir. Um, I, it, I think I, I, I think that line is exactly right. Exactly right as expressing the experience of somebody who has grown up where Boromir has grown up. 
and with Boromir's experience. Um, and I have no idea. Now, Evil Doctor Cannon, I don't know uh, how close Boromir has been to Mordor. Ithilien, we know. I mean, he's been to Ithilien, we're sure. We know this because he swam back across the river. Um, and I see no reason to... I mean, so they were defending Osgiliath. Um, I have no reason to think he's not been around in Ithilien. At the very least, he will have seen the mountains. Yeah, obviously, he's not been to Minas Morgul. He's not been up in Kirith Ungol. Um, nor has he been through the Black Gate. Um, but he's certainly... He has to have been at least to the crossroads. Um, Scott, I think that's almost certain that he's been to the crossroads. Um... Has he been on the slopes of the F.L. Duath? It's possible. It's possible. I mean, remember, it wasn't quite so dangerous earlier on. Um, I mean, it's been, uh, been a little hot lately, uh, but um, um, but it wouldn't have been quite so dangerous. Um, I mean, Minas Morgul would always have been dangerous, but um, uh, um, but yeah, I, I think it... Um, I th oh, I'm sure he's been to Hennethan. I say I'm sure. I'd be surprised if he hadn't been to Hennethanoon. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I, I have. Um, um, yeah, Wobe says I bet Boromir's seen the Black Gate. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Kind of seems like a Boromirish thing to do, right? Um, but in any case, like, has he been into Mordor? No, no. But he will know enough about the like. He will know he's seen the mountains, right? Um, he knows you can't just pass over them anywhere. And the two passes that he will know of are, you know, like the two ways in, right? You can get into Morgul Vale and you can get into the Black Gate. Even if he's not seen those two places with his own eyes. Um, which I don't think would be impossible. Um... I think I it would I would not be a bit surprised if Boromir could hang on let me rephrase let me, let me restructure this sentence it would surprise me if Boromir could actually get himself to believe to imagine Frodo that little halfling dude actually successfully getting into Mordor I mean, he's seen the place. He's not been in, but he's seen it. I, I, it's, I, I can't, I can't believe. I can't believe that he could think that that's really um, possible. Anyway, so I bet you in Boromir's head, he's thinking it's a matter of time. When we get to Minas Tirith, they'll see sense. They'll see, they will, we can, you know, maybe he's planning to recruit his father's help. You know, maybe he, he trusts in his father. That wouldn't surprise me. He knows Denethor. Denethor is a dude, right? I mean, Denethor is, uh, he's a convincing fellow, right? He's a strong-willed guy. I would imagine Boromir would have tremendous respect for his father. Um, does he believe that if he brings them there that, uh, or is he telling himself that Denethor will talk him out of this nonsense? Um, if they won't listen to him, maybe they'll listen to Denethor. 
They will see. Oh, yes, they will see. <laughs> Evil Dr. Cannon says, not quite the full Gollum voice yet, but uh, something like that. Something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, how close has Denethor physically gotten to Mordor? Again, in his youth, I mean, he was an active lad uh, and has been participating. In, I mean, he was Boromir you know, of the last generation. Uh, so again, I see no reason to think that he's not done at least as much. If anything, he might've done more because things would have been even, uh, more quiet in his childhood, uh, in the greater Mordor region that is than now. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me in the least bit if Denethor has seen the black gates. I think there's a higher chance of that than of, uh, Boromir actually, maybe even Minas Morgul, who knows? Um, but yeah, not just through the Palantir, David Michael. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but um, yeah, and they will have scouts. I mean, the Rangers of Athelion report to him, right? Even apart from the whole Palantir issue. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry. I'm, I'm still thinking through Boromir here. Um, he... And what I'm... Ultimately, what I'm getting at is that last sentence. Doubtless we shall be hidden from all unfriendly eyes when the snow has covered us, but that will not help us. He's being playful here. He's being quite gentle. Um, he's not saying any of the harsh things, which, to be fair, Gandalf himself probably would say if their positions were reversed. Um, he is... Um, uh, he is being um, you know, fire and death isn't a bit harsh. He's quoting Gandalf. He's quoting, the choice seems near now between fire and death, Gandalf. Right? Quoting your words back to you. Um, but then his, when his own words, doubtless we shall be hidden from all unfriendly eyes when the snow has covered us, but that will not help us. Um, Amarad, do I think there's some sarcasm here? Certainly. I think explicitly in the first phrase. Um, it's the second one, though. It's the second clause that I find so interesting. But that will not help us. Um, That's where I think he reveals the limits of his understanding, or at least of his belief. But that will not help us. Boromir doesn't get it. Helping them is not plan A. Survival is like survival and the success the, the success of their mission isn't the top priority, in a sense, right? Um, like that. As I said, better, better for them to die in an obscure part of the mountains than for Sauron to get the ring back. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Sarcasm, I don't think is quite right. Well, I think I agree with you here. Um, Boromir's a little too earnest for that. I don't know if we have a good word for the tone that I read his words in. Yeah, I'm having a hard time, too. I don't see it as exactly... Um, uh, I don't see it as exactly sarcasm. I don't see it as exactly hobbitry either. I don't think he 
plays that way exactly. Um, there's some wryness to it, yeah. Um, Aranas, I agree with you. Boromir's thinking seems to be discovery of the company equals setback. Death in the past equals failure. Whereas Gandalf's thinking is almost exactly the reverse. Death in the past equals setback. Discovery of the company equals failure. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, yeah, but that will not help us. Again, as if the helping of them is the goal. Um, so I'm thinking about people are suggesting or asking about how cutting do we think that sentence is? It might be. It might be. The thing that stops me, the thing that undermines my confidence in Boromir's tone being particularly trenchant here is his first phrase. What do you say to fire? Um, yeah. Now, Chris, you're absolutely right. Boromir has a reason to be alive when he gets back home because the host of Gondor still wants leading. Obviously, that's not Gandalf's priority. Yes. Yes. Um, at the end of the day, this is a side quest for Boromir, right? Um, that's certainly true. Um Yeah, and Everett, I think that you're right. Gandalf doesn't react to it as if it were cutting. Yes. I think if Boromir were actually being rude, I think if his tone were aggressive, or even passive-aggressive, in that last statement, yes, Kovia, I agree, Gandalf would have snapped right back. I see no reason to think that Gandalf would not have given it to him um, at least as hard as he got. I mean, Gandalf does not pull... Gandalf is perfectly willing to snap at folks. Um, that's um, well in character for uh, for Gandalf. Um, Gandalf's answer is quite gentle. And again, I come back to Boromir's first words. What do you say to fire is not how you start your paragraph if you are cutting loose if you are giving vent to your feelings in cutting speeches, right? Um, what do you say to fire? The choice seems near now between fire and death, Gandalf. He, addressing Gandalf by name there, is not only reminding Gandalf of his own words, right? Um, which in itself is almost like I'm making an argument. Like, I'm not, not only am I not saying... Okay, moron, it's obviously time for fire. It's long since time for fire. Am I the only... Do I have to think of everything? Right? Like, not only does he not seem to be saying that, he's, like, making an argument. Well, Gandalf, you did say, you know, only if the choice is between fire and death. And Gandalf, it seems that that choice is now near between fire and death. Near, even, it's like, we're not... I mean, I acknowledge we're not 100% there yet, right? Like, uh, you know... No one has died yet, and um, 
uh, no one's exactly on the brink of death, but uh, but you know we're we're not for, we're we're now in the neighborhood of the choice between fire and death. Surely Gandalf, right? Um, and then, and doubtless we shall be hidden from all unfriendly eyes when the snow has covered us. But that will not help us. But that will not help us. Again, the framing of that, it just, it doesn't sound like an angry person talking there. I think he's still being gentle here. Um, yeah, uh, Vardendil says the choice is near can also be read as it's a near thing, like it's a delicate choice as well as an immediate one. Yeah, well, I think I agree. I think he's still at least trying to sound respectful and deferential. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, I'm not saying he's actually being deferential. I think that his own internal monologue has gone past that, right? Um, I do think, I saw somebody said earlier that Boromir probably feels like he's the only competent adult in the room. I agree with that. I bet you Boromir does think that. Um, but I don't think he's not pulling rank. And he's not speaking out of turn. And he's not mouthing off to the leader of the company. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I do think he's trying. I do think he's trying. There's maybe a little bit of strain. Doubtless we shall be hidden from all unfriendly eyes when the snow has covered us. But that will not help us. Um, uh, yes. I mean, I can think of a hundred ways in which you could say that more harshly if you're just being sarcastic, right? If you're just being cutting. Um, I don't I don't think so. Here's another thing to keep in mind. Frodo believes, and will tell Faramir later, that Boromir accepts Aragorn's claim. Um, we saw there was a little bit of tension there at the council. Um, we'll see a little more tension later on. Um, I personally am not 100% sure I totally agree with Frodo. But at the same time, Boromir has to have been, and he seems to have been, a little bit impressed at the council, right? I, 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 as I, I've said I don't think that Boromir is on board. Um, I don't think he's a believer in the quest. But I don't think that that means he was unmoved by anything, right? Um, yes. Chris, exactly. Um, uh, I am drawing a contrast between Boromir and Grishnok. Well, here we are. Fine leadership, right? That's exactly the kind of thing that Boromir isn't going to do. That's not Boromir. And after all, Gandalf is a wizard, and he will have heard of him. He will have known of him. He, he, he's heard of Mithrandir um, down in Gondor, and Aragorn has a Lendil's sword. I mean, he's not seen him in action yet, right? I mean, for all he knows, he's a wuss, and perhaps he's beginning to suspect that he's an idiot. However, the dude has a Lendil's sword, right? And... Elrond, the greatest lore master 
you know, in this age of Middle Earth that his father sent him to clearly accepts and was putting forward Aragorn's claim to be the heir of Isildur. So whether or not he's yet personally um, like 100% convinced whether he's going to take Aragorn's part, whether, you know, whatever, he's got to um, he's got to be a little impressed, right? Um, he's got to be. And so it doesn't surprise me that he would still be going out of his way to um, not rock the boat, not oppose the leaders, not diss Mithrandir and Aragorn to their faces, despite the fact that he, with his persistent, gentle, and quite patient suggestions, um, is still uh, trying to contribute, you know, to the leadership of this company. Um, yeah, Dr. Benway, I have to think so. Um, the council was quite a gathering of great people. Boromir had to be at least slightly awed in that grouping. Yeah, I don't know that he necessarily felt, like, small, necessarily. I mean, I could believe it if Boromir felt that it was fitting that he should have a seat at the table there. But I can't think that Frodo was the only one whose mind was kind of blown when he was... I mean, like, he's grown up with the statue of Elendil right there in, in you know, like, and, and to hear Elrond talking about, like, oh, yeah, the day when Elendil and I attacked Sauron, like, Frodo's the one who is moved to speech there in his amazement um, at hearing Elrond's first-person memories of the Battle of Dagorlad and the fight on Mount Doom. Boromir can't have been unmoved by that. I mean, he absolutely can't have been unmoved. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I um, uh, Yes. Oh, Jackie, I think I agree with you. Jackie says, my headcanon is that Boromir went out scouting with Aragorn at some point after the council. Um, I think we said a while back that I cannot believe that Boromir was just, like, lounging in Rivendell eating peeled grapes for four months, right? Clearly, or three months, or however long it was. Um, surely not, right? He is way too much of, of a man of action. To, now, I mean, he's not a professional scout, right? But um, but would he do nothing? Would he take no active part when there was an active part to be taken uh, in preparation for the... I, you know, I gotta think he, he was. Um... Yes, exactly, Jackie. Uh, that's why Aragorn said that thing about Boromir being valiant. I could buy that. Imagine Boromir and Aragorn spending some, some time together and having the opportunity for Boromir to prove his valor. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Arnas, uh, Arnas says Boromir would have to have been held back. Yeah, exactly. Somebody would have to have tied Boromir in the attic um, uh, to, um, uh, to, to, to do that. Um, yeah, yeah. But, um, uh, anyhow, um, do you know, 
I think I've learned more about Boromir in our study of book two than of any other character so far. I think that going through and actually stopping and reading Boromir's every sentence and discussing them the way that we have been, along with all the other sentences, right? Um, I think has opened my own eyes about Boromir, Boromir's character and Boromir's situation. I, I, I give all of the characters, I think he's the one I've learned most about um, in the entirety of book two, like ever since Frodo woke up. Um, there have been some eye openers about other people, but um, I'm, I've been really impressed. Uh, I've been really impressed by Boromir so far. And I think we're going to see a real progression. I think we're going to see a real progression, but I don't think he's there yet. I mean, his progression is going to end, of course, with his little private conversation with Frodo, right, near Amon Hen. But, um, uh, but I think uh, we'll, we're going to see some other things between now and then. Um, and I think that that's very, that's very interesting. But anyway, yes, I think of all the things, and I'm sorry, I'm forgetting already who was suggesting it, um, but Gandalf's gentle response is probably the thing more than anything else that convinces me that Boromir's not laying it on thick here. That Boromir does not sound like a jerk when he says this. Because if he were sounding like a jerk, I think that Gandalf would give it to him. And he doesn't. You may make a fire if you can, answered Gandalf. If there are any watchers that can endure this storm, then they can see us, fire or no. He gives him permission. He just, you can make a fire if you can. Go ahead. Go ahead. He acknowledges it's time for the choice between fire and death. But notice, notice the thing. That's not enough at the end of the day for Gandalf. Right? I mean, if the choice were between... If lighting a fire not only makes the difference between life and death, but also makes the difference between discovery and secrecy, I don't think Gandalf gives the thumbs up here, right? Gandalf's point is lighting a fire might save our lives. Lighting a fire under these circumstances is not going to give us away. Because if there is anybody who can see the fire through this storm, who, who can be out in this storm and through this storm see our fire from a distance, then we're hosed anyway. I mean, they, they can see us, fire or no, right? Anybody who has that kind of ability, you know, fire, no fire is not making any difference, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Dora Stroke says, I think we're seeing how Tolkien sees him. Boromir, that is, as a military leader with great respect, but with deep flaws. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, yes. Um, and I think that, um, I think that Faramir agrees, but, um, yeah, Yarwin, I agree. Um, Boromir's complexity just continues to make itself more known. Yeah, 
as I say, it, to me, it's just one of the great payoffs of going slowly like this. Um, it's really easy for Boromir, because notice how little we get. Notice how subtle Tolkien is about all this, right? We don't get any internal monologue, right, from Boromir. Like, the narrator doesn't tell us what Boromir is thinking. The narrator isn't even telling us what other people are thinking about Boromir, how other people are reacting to him, right? We don't get any of that. All we get is just, like, these few speeches from him. Um, and we have to stop and think them through think them through in the context of what Tolkien has told us about his character and what we see um, in other, you know, in other places and, and in other things um, uh, in order to understand the, uh, the, the difference here. Um, yeah. Okay. Anyway. So, yeah. So Gandalf is willing to make a fire. But it's not because that's the only thing that's going to save their lives that convinces him. It's because he reasons the question of lighting a fire is now irrelevant to our secrecy. It's not going to betray us. And so therefore, sure, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, Dan, I was thinking about that too. How does the if you can change the reading here. I don't, again, I don't, this, this sounds gentle to me from Gandalf. I don't think he's being harsh. If you're being harsh, um, you know, like, so it's a theoretical possibility, right? That you could read Gandalf's words as like, all right, well, you know, knock yourself out, man. Like, you know, we'll see. Um, I'm not worried because you're not going to get it lit, right? So I, I, it, it, one could imagine um, a reading, you know, one, one can construct a reading and that's in which that's kind of Gandalf's tone or his intention there, but I don't think so. Um, uh, I think when Gandalf says, if you can, I think he's merely, I think he's agreeing with Boromir's assessment of the desperation of their situation. You may make a fire if you can. You might not be able to, though. I mean, this is bad, right? This storm, this is storm is really bad, and I don't know that it's going to help. This might be another reason why Gandalf didn't suggest bringing fire up in the, bringing firewood up in the first place, right? Because he was like, what are we going to do with it when we get it up there? Especially, remember, Boromir was like, bring logs, big logs. I can imagine Gandalf being like, and your plan will be what? Rub them together? Are you going to take these two big logs? <laughs> you expect that? To, I mean, what are you going to do? How are you going to, um, how are you going to, how exactly are you going to light a fire? Um, uh, with these big logs that you're bringing up the hill, right? Um, but, um, But yeah, I, I so I, I think that Gandalf was thinking if the conditions are favorable for lighting a fire, I'm not going to let him light a fire because then we'll be seen. If the conditions are so unfavorable that people can't even see us whether we light a fire or not, we're probably not going to be able to light a fire. So what's the point of bringing wood, right? Um, I think that that was the unspoken counter argument 
and the reason why Aragorn and Gandalf didn't think of it in the first place. Right. Um, I don't think he is, Rowan, I don't think he is yet asking Gandalf to start the fire. When he says, what do you say to fire? Um, I think that he is just asking for permission because he's not the boss. And Gandalf had said, it was Gandalf who put the kibosh on it before, right? But we must not use the wood, he says, unless we the, the choice be between fire and death. So um, Boromir is appealing to him. What do you say to fire? Can we have your permission? to do the fire thing, you know, to light a fire now, um, and quotes his words back to him, right? We seem to have fulfilled your condition. Hey, everybody. Sorry for the abrupt ending of class, but I had a power outage unexpectedly in the middle of class there, in the middle of my thought, unfortunately, and uh, I wasn't able to restore it until class was over again, and so we, I'm just, we're going to meet again next week. So sorry again for the abrupt ending. I know it was weird, but we'll be back again next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye now.